This is The 101, a podcast where we journey up and down Highway 101 along California's central and south coast, sharing discoveries, stories and conversations from Ventura to Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo and beyond. I'm your host, Michelle Loxton. It's the final episode of season two, a season that has been filled with stories of struggle, perseverance, grit and triumph. For thousands of years, the Native American Chumash people inhabited territory all along California's central and south coasts, on islands, along the beach, and in the mountains. Then, with the arrival of Spanish colonizers in the 1700s, their numbers were decimated and their territory significantly decreased. But there's a place in our region that you'll still find the tribe, in the Santa Ynez Valley. This fall, the Santa Ynez Band of Chumash Indians will open a museum and cultural center on their reservation, something they call a long-anticipated dream. This incredible museum and cultural center, first and foremost, is for the tribe. Right? This is their project. A project they can't wait to share with everyone. I traveled to the reservation to speak with the tribe about what the museum will be like. For them, it's a museum about a living culture. And I think that's really important. I don't want a museum status to be like, here they are, here they were, this is what they did, this is what they did, because we are still doing those things. The museum will be filled with stories that were lost for a long time, along with exhibits and events that showcase their own language that was only recently rediscovered. So our language was what we like to say, it was sleeping, was stolen from us, we couldn't speak it. In this episode of The 101, the building of the Santa Inez Chumash Museum and Cultural Center and its importance to the native people with a history in our region going back 8,000 years. Support for The 101 comes from KCLU listeners and Cottage Health. For nearly 130 years, Cottage Health has been providing advanced medical care for patients throughout California. Nationally recognized for quality care and patient satisfaction, the team at Cottage Health puts patients first with excellence, integrity, and compassion. Services include the Cottage Heart and Vascular Center, Cottage Center for Orthopedics, Cottage Children's Medical Center, and Santa Barbara Neuroscience Institute. More at cottagehealth.org. This is The 101. I'm Michelle Loxton. Land from Malibu all the way up the coast to Paso Robles was once Chumash Indian territory. Today, their territory is significantly smaller, but you'll still find tribal members in the Santa Inez Valley north of Santa Barbara and close to the city of Solvang. The reservation is 140 acres with about 100 homes on it. Groves and farmlands surround the boot-shaped reservation that has a creek running through the center of it. We, we are descendants of the village of what's known as Kalawashak, and that is about a mile from the existing reservation. That's Kenneth Khan, the chairman of the only federally recognized Chumash tribe. We have a thriving local economy. Our tribe is very active in a lot of tribal issues uh, around the state, around the nation. Khan says with his job, Every day is different. He could be taking part in a roundtable discussion about tribal issues with the Vice President of the United States 
or leading the project to expand their casino, and sometimes even helping someone look for their lost dog on the reservation. He's always balancing the tribe's past and present. Nowadays, our hunting and gathering is through Amazon.com and our local supermarkets. But uh, you know, we do have some folks that are able to have traditional hunts and uh, and participate. Uh, some of their tr- more traditional uh, ways of filling up their food pantries. We we joke around sometimes that our ancestors would you know they'd be taking the modern way to speed things up as well. So. The connection between a tumultuous past and the present is integral to the tribe, whose history in this region goes back around 350 generations. Before the arrival of the Spanish in the 1700s, historians say the number of Chumash in our region numbered over 20,000. But with the establishment of missions on tribal lands and the introduction of foreign diseases, the Chumash people were decimated. Chumash historians say by the early 1800s, just over 3,000 Chumash remained. Khan balances a dark past with the present day as they continue to fight for their prosperity. There have always been influences that have made it challenging for our tribes to be able to provide for themselves and for their future generations. And so we're continuously fighting to make sure that there's equal opportunity for our membership. And it's important that we also fight to take care of those around us as well, because we live in an absolutely beautiful community. This fall, a museum and cultural center is slated to open on the reservation. The tribe says it's a way to share their history with tribal members, the local community and visitors. The museum has been years in the making. In 2009, a committee was formed consisting of 14 tribal members. Their purpose was to advise what they wanted their museum to be like. They travelled all over the country to get inspiration to a dozen museums in half as many states. We really got to see from the Grand uh, National Museum of American Indian and the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., to the Pequot Museum in Connecticut, both two of the largest uh, facilities that I've ever been in, but also, you know, being able to travel around the country and see other tribal museums. Khan says it was a process of finding what was the right fit for them. How do we tell our story? How many square feet fits our community, fits our tribe, and fits our storytelling ability? So we're in the lobby of the tribal hall. Um, This is where all of our members in our community come in uh, to uh, check in on services. In the lobby, you'll see examples of how the future museum's exhibits will tell the story of the Chumash and their land. There's a huge bird, a California condor, on display. The uh, California condor is very significant to the Chumash. The Museum of Natural History donated this display case uh, to us years ago. This used to be in their exhibit hall. And the bird that we're looking at today is known as AC-8. This bird was part of a condor breeding program during a time when the prehistoric-looking creature almost went extinct. Data was collected on AC-8 for 20 years. Sadly, the bird was shot by a hunter, but the tribe sees the bird as deeply connected to their past. You know, we're able to carry on the story and and share more and, and use AC-8 as a teaching tool. Also on display in the tribal hall lobby, is the bust of a woman whose stories have played a huge part in the design of the museum. 
and we have a, a statue of Maria Solaris. A lot of our members have descended from Maria. She's worked uh, really hard with preserving our language, preserving some of our stories. The actual height was her height. And so that was strategic. So this way when people walk in, they can actually see you know, what it was like to be in her presence. You'll hear more about Maria and her stories later on in this episode. But the language that Maria worked hard to preserve is an essential part of the museum and cultural center. So our language was what we like to say, it was sleeping, was stolen from us, we couldn't speak it. That's Kathleen Marshall. She's a tribal member and their lead language and culture teacher. Marshall says there was a time when the tribe didn't speak their indigenous language because it hadn't been passed down. It had been lost. But then about 15 years ago, their language was rediscovered. Here's what Marshall says happened. In 1912, an American linguist interviewed Kathleen Marshall's great-great-great-great-grandmother, Maria Solaris. Remember the bust in Tribal Hall? He sat with her for about four years documenting the Chumash language. Those notes were owned by the Smithsonian and later ended up at UC Berkeley, where another linguist, Dr. Richard Applegate, discovered them in a basement by chance and decided to create a dictionary of the language. The tribe heard about this and hired Applegate to work with them to bring their language back. Kathleen Marshall now teaches the tribe what she learned from Applegate. It's moving slowly because it's very hard to teach a language that nobody speaks. Unfortunately, we have to teach it with grammar because that is how our linguists taught us. It's not like we learned it from our grandparents or our mothers or our family growing up. We didn't hear it because nobody was speaking it. There were people on the reservation that knew words here and there and knew some songs, but there was no fluent speakers at all. Through this process, they unearthed more than just their language. We went through all the notes, and our grandmother said we were Somala Chumash. Our language was Somala. And we just found that out 15 years ago, that that's who we were. We're Somala Chumash. It was a full circle moment for Marshall, realizing this discovery came from her own ancestor. I asked her what that moment was like. Well, it makes me want to cry right now because, wow, that was taken from us. We didn't even know what our name was. We didn't even know there was a name out there for us. So finding that out really filled my heart and my soul. And it did to everyone that was around us at that table when we told them that. And we found that out. I'll never forget that moment. And since then, our tribe has chosen to be Samala Chumash because that's who we are. I interviewed Marshall just outside Tribal Hall. It's a warm day and she noted the smell of California sage in the air. She says living on a reservation with her family means so much to her. This is where I work. This is where I live. This is where I raise my children. This is where I was taught everything that I needed to know. As a child, um, living on a reservation is very special because you really live next door to your family. Everybody on the reservation is related in one way or another. She says she can feel her ancestors on this land. You can feel our, our family through here. The land is alive, you know, we believe that. When we do ceremony or when we're getting ready to sing and dance, you can really feel our ancestors here with us. This is where we're from. 
A short drive from Tribal Hall is the construction site for the Chumash Museum. The tribe chose the architect John Paul Jones, who was also involved in the design of the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C., and many other projects in Indian country. Kathy Conti is working very closely with the architect. I am the director of museum programs, research and resources for the San Inez Band of Chumash Indians. We put on hard hats and reflective jackets. Conti, who's not part of, but works for the tribe, is taking me on a tour. It's very much a construction site when I visit and all sorts of work is going on with machines buzzing in the background. The museum is definitely beginning to take shape. I'm going to ask you to imagine, right now, what this museum will eventually be like. We're going on a journey, stretching over thousands of years. When you arrive at the museum, you will walk along what they're calling their entry procession, where you'll meander a footpath. It's almost like following a river, the Santa Inez River more specifically. Along that footpath will be an illustrated timeline showing the tribe's long, long history. You'll notice as you follow the river that all the museum buildings have large boulders of different sizes, part of the structure, placed close to the foundations. They're called grandfather stones. They're very large and they're meant to sort of ground those buildings, link them to the ground, link them to the heritage. They were sourced at the Lompoc Quarry, which is a, a type of stone that early Chumash would have used as well. One of the buildings you'll pass along the entry procession is the Heritage House, which will be used for events for the tribe and as a rental space. This room will have a unique ceiling. With the help of special effects, it'll be like staring up at the sky the way it looked a long time ago, living in a Chumash village. It's going to have two views, a daytime view, which is going to have lovely blue sky and a few clouds, and probably a couple of hawks swirling into that sky. In the view of the nighttime sky, they're going to see the Chumash constellations and the Milky Way. We walk up to the first building you'll enter when you visit the museum. Giant bronze doors with large handles in the shape of clapper sticks, a Chumash musical instrument, will make way into a large dome-shaped room. This room is styled in the way that Chumash built their homes hundreds of years ago. We are now standing in what is called the Welcome House. This building has been designed after original Chumash architecture, which were houses built out of tule and willow. Tule being reeds that grow by the water's edge. Conti had brought a bit of tule for me to see. The reeds are light brown in color and a bit like styrofoam, a sturdy, hard outside layer with a spongy inside. It has a crunchy sound when you handle it. The Chumash would use tule for the building of their homes, the weaving of mats and baskets. It's a special day for Conti and her team when I visit, as delicate round skylights are being installed in the Welcome House and elsewhere. She's very excited to see something she's worked on for so long come to fruition. And they've put the glass in, and you, this is the first time that I've seen this after planning this for a few years. And you'll see that there are Chumash rock art motifs in there. Um, as we look up to the sky. Hundreds of years ago, there would have been a round hole in the tops of the Chumash homes, a hole that would let the smoke out from the fire. The tribe wants this to be a multi-sensory experience. On the walls, you'll see paintings of all sorts of Chumash dancers. 
There's going to be the barracuda dancer, swordfish, bear, an on-top dancer, blackbird dancer, and a condor dancer. But it's not just what you'll see. It'll be what you hear, too. We're going to hear sounds um, that would have been behind these paintings, sounds of the ocean, waves lapping to the shore, sounds of hawks calling across this space that would have been in the Chumash world, that are currently in the Chumash world, sounds of fire crackling, and so on, along with greeting words in Somala Chumash. A hallway decorated with feather banners that the Chumash used to mark special places leads away from the Welcome House and takes you to the Maria Solaris Discovery Centre. Remember the bust of Maria back in Tribal Hall? Maria, who died a hundred years ago, was an avid storyteller. Her tales are an integral part of the museum. This particular room is themed around Maria's stories about the three worlds that the Chumash believed in. The upper world, being the things that we see above us, the moon, sun, thunder and birds, the middle world, the world we're in now, and the lower world filled with malevolent beings. And I'm very excited for people to see that because it's kind of a, an unknown story. Not that it's been a secret, but I think this is going to be its debut for the world. The museum will have about 45 exhibits, 30 of them interactive. 20,000 artifacts and items have been collected, donated or created for the museum, including handwoven baskets, knitted skirts and musical instruments. Once you've finished with the indoor exhibits, you'll make your way outdoors to the three-and-a-half-acre cultural park. The tribe says they have a very unique relationship with Mother Earth, Father Son, and it's extremely important that they incorporate the outdoors in their museum and in a way that is ecologically responsible. There will be an amphitheatre, a tamal house for the tamals or canoes that were carved out of redwood trees. There will also be a native garden where there will be 11,000 plants that have been part of the Chumash history. Authenticity has been essential to Conti throughout this process. Her research has taken her all over our region and world, sourcing and researching Chumash artifacts that have ended up in museums overseas. To make sure that we're telling the authentic story, that when people come here, that they see that this is a native place. When Chumash people come here, they should see themselves in the exhibits. They should see their ancestors and see and hear and feel their own story. And it should be very profound. Conti says elders have told her they can't wait to visit with their grandchildren. This incredible museum and cultural center, first and foremost, is for the tribe. I wanted to end with something that incorporates so much of what this episode and really this museum is all about. Storytelling and the Chumash language. This story was told to me by Kathleen Marshall, the tribe's language and cultural teacher. You'll hear it in both Somali Chumash and English. This is an excerpt of the story of the woodpecker and the flood. When this world perished, it was full of water. This world was full of water. The people died. Only Woodpecker didn't die. Only Woodpecker survived. The clouds were coming in. 
The clouds were coming in. It rained. It rained a lot. It rained hard. The flood came down. There were no mountains. There were no live oaks. Finally, one tree was all that was showing, and Woodpecker was sitting in the tree. Maskuna aksi imakutikuk. The woodpecker was the nephew of the sun. Kashmishi makutikuk. Sip katata katata tanikutiyet tanikutiyet. He cried. He said, "Uncle, uncle, please see me. Please see me." Ho tisip ho tisip kasitak anakh sip kupme kupme. Ho, what did he say? The old man heard. He said, "Poor thing." Poor thing. Kasalapai asisiolokin naskilinapayaksi. He raised his torch and the sun quickly came out. Nakasikwena o nasulumun imakotikuk. And the water went down and Woodpecker warmed himself. Head over to kclu.org slash podcast where you'll find photos from my visit to the reservation and pictures of what the museum will be like. I also have the full story of the woodpecker and the flood in both Somala Chumash and the English translation. The 101 is produced by KCLU Public Radio. We are NPR for the California coast. This episode was edited by Elisa Barber. I'm Michelle Luxton, the host and creator of The 101. If you have an idea or a story for one of our next episodes and next season, email me at podcast at kclu.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about it today. And don't forget to subscribe. I'd also love it if you'd rate or review our podcast. This is The 101. Thanks for listening.